Good morning, brothers and sisters. And it's great to be with you all again. Uh, lots of you here today. It's great to see so many smiling faces, and I'm just happy to be here and uh, worship the Lord uh, with you today. Uh, I'm just going to make a special request for those watching on Facebook this morning. Uh, we're just so happy that you do join us every week, and uh, uh, I don't spend enough time talking to you. So I just want to thank you all uh, for, for being here on Facebook. And uh, also would like to ask you a favor. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, we would like to increase our presence on social media. Uh, and you can share the message today. Uh, you just have to click share. I think that's how it works on Facebook. Uh, is that how it works on Facebook? I think so. So just click share. Uh, share it with your friends. Uh, be willing to suffer abuse at the hands of uh, your Facebook adversaries. But uh, we want to share the gospel with our friends and family. Uh, and folks, you all can do it too. If you have Facebook pages when you go home, excuse me, when you go home, uh, please share the message. Uh, let's increase our, our profile on social media. Uh, let's spread the word to everybody we can. I pray that we'll do that. Well, today we'll be continuing our study in the book of Romans uh, in a message that I'm calling God's Eternal Purposes Part 2. And we'll be talking about called, justified, and glorified. And that's from Romans 8, uh, chapter 30. Uh, so let's go to the Lord and ask for help today. Uh, Lord, uh, we... We uh, plowed some difficult ground last week, and, and uh, because we have uh, kind of laid that foundation, this week is a little bit easier perhaps, but still difficult things ahead of us today, this morning, Lord. And uh, Lord, we would just pray uh, your Holy Spirit come, uh, open up our minds, uh, illumine the scriptures for us, uh, help us to understand uh, as much as you want us to understand from these scriptures, Lord. We're talking about uh, very difficult things, but Lord, uh, the, the assurance that we have, because all of these things are true, just amazing, Lord. And we just thank the Lord Jesus Christ. Without him, none of these things would be possible. And so we lift him up today, Lord, and we pray that you'll be with us today as we learn. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, they say that there are only two sure things in life. You know what they are? Death and taxes, that's right, death and taxes. Uh, we have all felt the pain of taxes, right? Uh, tax day is April 15th, uh, most years. Uh, this year it was pushed to June 15th because of COVID, uh, but many of us filed extensions. And so for uh, those who did, uh, October 15th was tax day. That's just this past Thursday. And so for some of you, uh, the pain of writing a check to the IRS is still quite fresh and raw uh, to you. Uh, death, is, I mean, taxes are, are inevitable. Uh, of course, you don't have to pay taxes. Uh, you could decide not to pay taxes, and then you could go to jail. Uh, so you kind of have a choice, uh, but really, uh, taxes are inevitable. Uh, and unless Jesus returns, of course, death is inevitable as well. We'll all experience it. Uh, none of us likes to think about our deaths, but uh, as Dick taught us the last couple of weeks in Sunday school, uh, as much as we've had advances in medical science, uh, death can only be delayed. Uh, it cannot be avoided. And I think Dick took a lot of pleasure in telling us the various ways that we're going to die uh, over the last couple of weeks. So that was a, a good and morbid time together. Uh, <laughs> but uh, although we know that, that death uh, and taxes are inevitable, uh, there are other things that are inevitable too for the believer. Uh, for the believer, uh, death and taxes are certain, but also, uh, if we've been predestined, uh, then also calling 
And justification and glorification are also certain, just as certain as taxes, just as certain as death. Uh, for God's elect, every link in the chain of God's eternal purpose of salvation is also certain. Uh, so we're looking at this fantastic passage this week, Romans 8, 28 through 30, uh, that Bill read for us. And we'll be focusing this week on verse 30, uh, and we'll be talking about the last uh, three links uh, in this uh, golden chain of salvation. So last week we talked about two very difficult uh, concepts, right? The concept of foreknowledge and the concept of predestination. And, and we said uh, that foreknowledge means that God loved us before the creation of the world. And he loved us with this special love, uh, with this electing love. Uh, it means that God has chosen to have this special relationship with us, th this relationship of knowing and choosing his elect. And so it's the relationship that is stressed in this word foreknowledge. It's, it's more than that God uh, knows about us, and it's more than that God knows the choices that we're going to make. It's that he knows us. He has chosen to have relationship with us, and he chose to have that relationship before time even began, before we existed. So God has this relationship with us based on his knowledge, to love us before we ever even existed. So that's foreknowledge. And we talked about predestination. Predestination means that God has set in advance what the final outcome will be. So we said that uh, predestination is not based on God's knowledge of what our future choices will be. That's not what predestination means. Uh, it's based on God's will. He wills what is going to happen. And so uh, these concept are, concepts are difficult because God is not confined by time, and we are. So we just have a hard time uh, thinking outside of time. It's, it's beyond our finite minds to be able to do that. But what happened was that first, God foreknew certain individuals in that he loved them, chose to have special relationship with us. And he, based on his foreknowledge, based on his love, based on his will, he also predestined us to believe before time even began. And so we said last week that predestination is the fulfillment of Romans chapter 8, 28. Remember Romans 8, 28, for God, uh, God has uh, wanted us to believe, and so uh, all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. So uh, the, the predestination, uh, the good that God wills for us in Romans 8.28, we see in Romans 8.29. These are the things that he, he the, the good that he wants for us is in Romans 29, that we will be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among all creation. And so that's verse 29. And so this concept of, of predestination is difficult, uh, and we may have different opinions about it, and that's okay. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, today for our, our Facebook listeners, if you would, I would just like to interact with you. Uh, maybe you could answer uh, on the scroll there how predestination makes you feel. Uh, what do you think about God when you think about predestination? And I'll look at what you said early, early when I get home later, and uh, I'll interact with you on that, and maybe we can have some fun doing that. Uh, so this idea of predestination and foreknowledge, those are the first two links in God's eternal plan of salvation. And there are three more links in God's eternal plan of salvation, and they are calling, justification, and glorification. And so what we need to understand is that for any person that God 
foreknew back in eternity past, uh, all the other links in the chain are assured. They are certain. If foreknowledge is certain, then predestination, uh, calling, justification, and glorification are all certain because nothing can stop God's eternal plan of salvation. So let's look at the first one. God called us. Now there's the five, five, five uh, links in the golden chain. Uh, so God called us. That's the middle link. Uh, so God called us at verse 30. Let's just notice here at the outset that we have now entered into historical time now. Uh, foreknowledge and predestination that happened in eternity way past, but calling and justification happen in time during our human lives. Uh, so foreknowledge and, and predestination happen in the sovereign mind, the sovereign will of God, eons ago, before time could be uh, measured, before there even was time. But calling and justification happen during our physical, earthly lives. And then glorification will happen after our physical, earthly lives are over. So this concept of calling, God calls us. Uh, the Bible talks about two kinds of calling. Uh, there is the general call of God, and that's the call uh, that, that God issues to everyone, uh, to hear the gospel, to believe and be saved. And this, this uh, general calling is sometimes called the external call of God or the outward call of God. Uh, so that's one kind of calling. And then there's a second kind of calling that the Bible talks about, and that is uh, the effectual or the effective calling of God, sometimes referred to as the inward calling uh, or the internal calling of God, where, where God's elect uh, are called and, the, and they, they hear the gospel and they are regenerated and they believe and they are saved. So let's first talk a little bit more about the general call. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I used to go out and play after school, uh, and I knew that dinner time was at six o'clock, right? Uh, and we had a, there was a whistle in the town that we grew up in. It was at the firehouse. And when this whistle went off, if you were standing next to it, I don't know how you still had eardrums. You could hear it from the other side of the town, uh, clear as a bell. That's with the five o'clock whistle. So you knew you had an hour before you could get home. Uh, well, the six o'clock at dinner time, that was intended by my mother to be an effectual call for me. She expected me to be home at six o'clock. But if I was, you know, having more fun uh, playing in the wiffle ball game that I was playing in or whatever I was doing, I would treat that call as a general call. I would choose not to hear and obey uh, that call. Uh, to me, the call was general because I could choose to obey or not to obey. Now, of course, there would be consequences if I refused to obey the call, if I ignored the call, but still I could resist the call if it did not correspond to my will, which was stronger, which was to finish my wiffle ball game before going home. Uh, so there is a general call, and God calls all humanity to hear the gospel through this general call. And there are many ways that God calls us generally, and one way is through nature. Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God, so we can look up at the sky and we can see God in the heavens. Uh, we also talked about this, as you'll remember, all the way back in, in Romans chapter 1, uh, where we talked about God's natural uh, revelation to us, his general revelation, and we learned that God pours out his wrath against ungodliness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth because they deny uh, what God has revealed about himself in nature. So there is this way that, that God reveals himself generally through nature, and that's one way that God calls us generally. 
He also calls us generally by the preaching of the word. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, remember, at the end of Matthew chapter 28, the end of Matthew's gospel and what we call the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So they were to go, preach the gospel, uh, and uh, try to make believers and disciples. Uh, we see it in the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God's calling is a general calling to everyone because Christ died for all. And when Jesus was on the earth, remember that he called people uh, as well. He issued a general call for people to believe and be saved. And, and, and one example, two examples actually, uh, John 7:37. if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So this was a genuine and real invitation for anyone uh, who would believe to come to him. And he said the same thing in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, unfortunately, because of humanity's sinful nature and total depravity, none of us will willingly come to God of our own volition. God has to call us because God's general call can be resisted, uh, which is the main difference between God's general call on the one hand and his effectual call on the other hand. And we see evidence of this in Matthew 22:14. He says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And so uh, Jesus issued a general call for all to follow and all to believe. But so from God's side, a few are chosen though. From humanity's side, people have a real choice and uh, they have a real choice to believe uh, and be saved, but they refuse to do so. And we see a couple of examples of that. Matthew chapter 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to hear or to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Also John chapter 5, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me and have eternal or to have life. So because of our sinful nature, there is nothing in us that will cause us uh, to come to God, nothing that will allow us to choose him. And so he has to issue this effectual call to his elect. And this effectual call is different than the general call in that it will have its desired outcome, which is our salvation. So let's talk a little bit more about this general call, uh, our effective, effectual call. Uh, his effectual call, or this, this inward call, is, is where God's elect hear the gospel, and they are called, and they are regenerated, and they believe, and they are saved. Now, that is a mouthful, right? There is a ton of theology there. Volumes have been written on that one sentence that I just said. Uh, so we're not going to be able to unpack it all, but we're going to touch on all of it. Uh, but let's just first see that, that this effectual calling is from God. Uh, John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purposes. So unless God draws people to himself and does a work in their hearts, no one will be saved. 
This word uh, in John 6:44, this word draws, actually means to drag. Uh, we see it in uh, John chapter 21, uh, when the apostles dragged this heavy net full of uh, fish from the water into the shore. It's the same word. And it's the same word that is used uh, in Acts chapter 13 when Paul and Silas are dragged forcibly into the marketplace. And so uh, we see that this drawing uh, is, has almost a, a violent tendency to it. it it's, it's hard work. It, it's, it's a forceful thing. Uh, and so uh, the drawing that we see is God's work. He has to do it because we are not inclined to choose God for ourselves. So, so God has to pull us toward him. He has to do this work because sin has so darkened our natures and our hearts and our minds that we will never choose God. But when he calls, we do answer if he calls with this effectual call. Jesus said it in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's the effectual call. And whoever comes to me, we see some human decision-making in that, uh, I will never cast out. So God's plan uh, to cause people to believe uh, is first that he foreknew and that he predestined them. But the way that God makes his uh, foreknowledge and his predestination sure is through this effectual calling. Uh, a Calvinist might call this irresistible grace. That's the phrase that you hear used. God calls us and he regenerates us. Now, regeneration is uh, God quickening us by the Holy Spirit and making us alive so that we can hear the gospel call and that we can believe. And all the while, this is not to say uh, that the decision is not voluntary. Uh, the reason I don't like the term irresistible grace is that uh, it, it sounds like we have no ability whatsoever, and, and of course in our total depravity we don't, but God gives us ability uh, to make the decision. Uh, the first half of John 6.37 clearly talks about this irresistible grace, uh, but it also removes uh, the human decision from the equation. So here's how I resolve the tension. And you can decide whether this is biblical or not, uh, just from John 6.37, I think that it is. Uh, we do have a choice. The Bible repeatedly makes clear that we do have a choice, as uh, we pointed out last week. But God so calls us and so regenerates us that we won't want to resist his grace. We will want to receive it, and we will receive it by faith. And that's what makes the calling effectual. Uh, I could choose the general call to ignore my mother's 6 p.m. call to be home for dinner, right? But I never had to be called twice for Christmas morning. That was a totally different kind of call. On Christmas morning, the call to wake up and come downstairs was an effectual call. Uh, I heard the call. I wanted to obey it. I did obey it, and I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, of course, all illustrations break down, but what I want us to see is that God so worked in our hearts so that when he calls us and when he regenerates us, we want nothing else than to believe, and so we choose to believe. It's the best possible option. We wouldn't have it any other way. And so when he calls us with this effectual call, we see the filthiness of our sin. We see the beauty and majesty of Jesus Christ, and we see the gospel, and we don't find anything else anymore even remotely attractive. Uh, it's our heart's desire to believe, and that's what God accomplishes through his calling and his regeneration of us. 
Uh, the Bible talks about this regeneration early uh, in the Old Testament in Ezekiel. Uh, in Ezekiel 36, it says that God would remove these hearts of stone and he would give us new hearts, hearts of flesh uh, and a new spirit. Uh, we see that back in the Old Testament. And Jesus called this regeneration uh, being born of the Spirit. Uh, remember his conversation with Nicodemus in, Cha in John chapter 3. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so uh, we have nothing to do with regeneration. Just like we had nothing to do with our first birth, we have nothing to do with our second birth either. This is the work of God. And so our new hearts, though, that he gives us, they want to believe. Uh, and they choose to believe, and God foreknows us, he predestines us, and then he calls us with this effectual calling so that we will want to believe, and so we do. And so the next step in the eternal plan of salvation is justification. God justified us. Uh, again, back to verse 830. Let's talk a little bit about the timing of justification. When God calls us with this effectual call, he regenerates us so that we want to believe, and by faith we do believe. So uh, if we can say <clears throat> that there's an order to these things, <clears throat> we would say that there is God's foreknowledge and, there, and then his predestination. And then God calls us, he regenerates us, uh, and, and of course that's both those things are works that he does in us, which results in our receiving the gospel and believing by faith and exercising saving faith in Jesus Christ. And so when we believe the gospel, uh, God justifies us. And so I say these things uh, to you and, and to myself uh, as though they're in sequential order, because for us, they happen in time, right? We live in time. God is outside of time. So uh, it may seem like there are gaps in these things between calling and regeneration and uh, justification. Uh, and certainly there is a huge gap in time between foreknowledge and predestination and, and calling, right? The, we understand that foreknowledge and predestination happen long in eternity past. Calling, justification, regeneration, faith, justification, they happen in time. Uh, there may be gaps of time. There may not be gaps of time. It's hard to know. Those things all may happen in, in, a, in a precise moment in time. They may happen simultaneously. How this works is a mystery to us. Uh, and any of us who can remember being unbelievers uh, will know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, just to illustrate, last week, I told you that my faith journey began when uh, Molly's Uncle Kenny uh, died way too young, uh, you know, in his mid-50s. And that was the start of my faith journey as I started to decide that I wanted to investigate Christianity's truth claims. So was that God's calling? Was that God's effectual calling? Even though I didn't believe for more than a year after that, uh, I don't know. Uh, or did the calling happen you know, instantaneously, a nanosecond? His effectual calling happened a nanosecond before uh, I received the gospel and believed. Uh, we really don't know. Uh, but what's important is not the length of time between these things, between calling and regeneration and uh, faith and justification. Uh, what's important is the knowledge, the assurance that once foreknowledge was set in minds, uh, God's mind and will in eternity past, all the rest of the links in the chain 
are assured. They cannot fail. So once God foreknows you and predestines you, your calling, your regeneration, your uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and your justification are sure. Nothing can stop them from happening. They are unbreakable links in the chain uh, from, that began in God's mind and will long ago. So the timing of justification. What about the meaning of justification? Now, We've talked about this uh, more than once. Uh, we talked about this back in Romans chapter 3 uh, when we were first uh, explaining the gospel, uh, as Paul did from that wonderful chapter, uh, passage between uh, uh, verses 21 and 28 in chapter 3. And we also talked about this in great detail in Romans 8.1. Uh, but uh, for my money, uh, it's never bad to hear the gospel again. So let's just talk about what justification is. Uh, it simply means that we have right standing before God. Uh, where before our justification, we deserved condemnation for our sins. Uh, Romans 8.1 tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So uh, justification is God's declaration that we are not guilty. We're not guilty. And even though we've sinned and we fall short of the glory of God, and even though we deserve punishment for our sins, because of God's grace, because of Jesus Christ's work on the cross, we are forgiven for our sins. And because Jesus Christ died on the cross, salvation has been made available to all. And those who say yes to Jesus receive the benefits of the cross. We're justified, and he looks at us as though we have never sinned. He declares us not guilty, and he secures our place in heaven. Now, we all understand that we don't deserve this justification. There is nothing in us that would merit such grace on behalf of the Father. We could never earn it, uh, not by keeping the law, not by being a good person. We aren't justified uh, by being baptized or by keeping sacraments or by coming to church or by giving money to charity or by going on mission trips or uh, if you folks decide to share the message uh, today and you get abused on Facebook, uh, that's not going to save you either. It's going to be a testimony, but it's not going to be a saving event. Uh, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. We believe that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead, and those who believe have eternal life. And faith is the means by which we receive the salvation that God has offered to us. So let me stress again that we are dealing with the mystery of the sovereignty of God's will on the one hand and human will on the other hand. Uh, foreknowledge and predestination indicate God's decision a long time ago. A calling is his work to draw us to him. Regeneration is his work to quicken our hearts and spirits so that we can believe and want to believe. But belief itself is something that we have to do. We have to decide, and we won't decide unless God does something in us first. But we still have to make that decision that we will willingly make because of his regeneration. So again, we have two parallel tracks, as John MacArthur calls it. You have uh, God's sovereignty on the one track, a human will on the other track. They run side by side. They never meet. They can't be reconciled. Uh, but Charles Spurgeon once famously said about this uh, God's sovereignty and free will, he says, uh, God's sovereignty and free will are not enemies. They are friends, and friends don't need to be reconciled. Isn't that a great quote? 
It really sums up our attitude towards these things. We don't need to beat ourselves up, beat each other up about uh, whether uh, you know, we tend more towards the sovereignty side, more towards the free will side. Uh, they are friends that don't need to be reconciled. So God has determined in advance what will happen to us, but we, bo- we have to believe, and both are true. So most of that is review. What I really want to stress here today is that before the foundation of the world, can you even begin to try to conceive what that means? Before God designed the world, before he uh, made us, before, he, he, uh, before creation even was, uh, our justification has been secure. That's startling, staggering, mind-boggling to us. And it's one very strong reason that we can be assured that we can never lose this justification, that we can never lose this salvation that God has for us. So think about it. Do you think that if God planned something in eternity past by his foreknowledge and his predestination because of his great love for us, that we would be called regenerated and that we would believe that he would allow us to mess that up? I don't think so. I mean, God is not going to allow his plans to be screwed up by us. Uh, I think it was John MacArthur who once said, if we could lose our salvation, we would. Uh, And so that's absolutely true, right? I mean, we are sinful creatures. If we could lose it, there's no doubt we would lose it. And so we thank God that he holds us in the palm of our hands uh, and assures that we can never lose this salvation. Now, does that mean when we experience times of doubt that we have lost our salvation? No, we are all going to experience times of doubt. What is going on in 2020? I mean, honestly, what is going on? It's crazy, all the things that have happened this year. And so, uh, you know, why does God allow these things? And, and if God can't even control 2020, how is he going to ensure that my salvation is eternally secure? That's a, a way that people might doubt these days. And what about our sin? Can we ruin God's salvation by our sin? Uh, well, no, we can't. Once we are secure, once we are Uh, secure in in, uh, God's salvation, we can't lose our salvation because Jesus died to pay for that sin already. We don't have to uh, worry that we're going to suffer eternal damnation for it because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we may not know what God is doing in 2020, and we may have committed some awful sin that we think God uh, could never forgive us for, and these things can lead us to doubt. But what we need to hold on to today is that since God foreknew us, and he predestined us, and he called us, and he justified us, we cannot lose this salvation. And because all of those things are true, we can be absolutely certain that we will be glorified as well. And that's the final link in God's eternal plan of salvation. Foreknowledge, predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. So God has glorified us. The meaning of glorified. You know, if I asked you to define glory, to define glorified, I bet you'd have a hard time doing it. It's not an easy word to define because the problem with defining glory is that words just fall short of it. Glory is is the highest height we can think of. So how do you use words that are lower than glory to define the higher? It's impossible to do. God spoke about his own glory in Exodus chapter 33. Do you remember that famous passage where Moses says to God, show me your glory. 
and uh, God picks up Moses and puts him in the cleft of a rock and allows him to see his back. And God says to Moses, I'll pick you up, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'll allow you to see my back as it passes by. But you can't see my glory. You cannot see my face, for no one can see God's face and live. And so in that sense, God's face is almost synonymous with his glory. Remember when Moses used to come down from the mountain after interacting with God, he had to put a veil over his face because uh, his, the, the, the radiance of God's glory from his face was so intense that the people couldn't even gaze on it. So he had to veil his face. Uh, it was God's reflected glory, of course. It wasn't Moses' glory, but God's reflected glory off of Moses' face was too intense for them to, to even gaze upon. So we talk about glory. Uh, we can give it a, an English definition, a human definition. It means majesty, splendor, and radiance. But even those words are hard to define. Now, when we come to the word glorify, it's just the verb form. It means to praise, to honor, uh, to extol, to cause, to have splendid greatness, uh, to clothe in splendor. Great, right? Those are human words, but the splendid greatness itself uh, demands and yet defies definition. What does this mean? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, we know that it's something that someone does for someone else, to glorify uh, someone else. And, and in this case, in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, God glorifies us. Now, if we can just try and get a hint of what that might look like, uh, let's recognize uh, through a couple of examples that, that God and Jesus glorified each other. Uh, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, <clears throat> John chapter 17, he prayed, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus glorified God with his work, and he was just hours from going to the cross to glorify him uh, by his death. And he asked God to glorify him as well. Uh, John 17, chapter, uh, verse 5 uh, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So eternally past, Jesus and God shared this glory together. Uh, this is the glory that, God, that Jesus gave up when he came to earth to become a man. And in Philippians chapter 2, uh, Jesus did receive this glory that he asked for. Uh, it says here, for this reason also, uh, his death and resurrection, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think we might have sung about that this morning, didn't we? I think we did. So the amazing thing is that God and Jesus do this for each other, and God is going to do it for us too. God will glorify us. So unless Jesus returns, we will see him face to face when we die. And I can't fully describe what that glorification of us is going to look like. I can't describe the glory that awaits us. As the song says, we can only imagine. But I just want you to be assured right now, at this very moment, as I stand here and as you sit there, our glorification could not be more secure, just as secure as foreknowledge, predestination, his calling and his justification of us is sure and already achieved and accomplished. Our glorification is already accomplished as well. And in fact, 
It's so accomplished, it's so assured that Paul was able to write about it in the past tense. Do you notice that? That he says, just as we were predestined, called, justified, we were also glorified as though it's already happened. That's how sure it is that we are going to experience this glorification. So it's done. Our glorification is done, even though we still wait for it. One commentator said that this is the boldest statement in the entire New Testament that Paul would declare something done that has not yet even occurred yet in time because it's done in God's mind. That means it's as good as done. So it's every bit as done as those other four links in the chain. And in fact, this news is so good. It is so delectable to Paul uh, that Paul was left almost speechless. And as we'll see next week when we study the last uh, part of, of chapter 8, he said in verse 31, what shall we say in response to such things? Paul was flabbergasted. He was stunned almost to the point of being speechless at these incredible truths. So we'll talk about that more next week. But uh, for this week, uh, what are some things that we can take away? Well, the first thing is this. Believers have no reason to fear do you know that over the last two weeks, as we've been talking about the eternal purpose of God, we are just talking about the, the deepest truths about God that there are. And they're really hard to understand. But if we understand that God's power assures the completion of his purposes, I'll say it again, God's power assures the completion of his purposes. If we understand that, then we know that we have nothing to fear. God has chosen us before the beginning of the world. And God's eternal purposes cannot be thwarted and nothing can stop these things from coming to pass. He holds us safely in the palm of his hand as sure as predestination and foreknowledge and calling and justification are, uh, so is our glorification. So what are you afraid of today? Are you afraid of COVID-19? Uh, God is going to let this run its course. He's going to accomplish his purposes in it, and then it is going to end. He's in charge. Are you afraid of the presidential election? With good reason, perhaps, but God <laughs> elects leaders. Do we understand that? We vote, but God chooses our leaders. We're going to learn that later on in, in Romans. He works all things together for good, for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And all things mean all things, even if November 3rd doesn't turn out the way you might like it to. Financial lack, God provides everything we need through Christ Jesus. Sickness, Molly and I uh, went to see Diana on Friday night and uh, she's looking frail and she's looking tired. And uh, I asked her, are you afraid? And she said, no, I'm not afraid, with a little smile. Uh, and I said, you know, Diana, this week I'm going to be preaching about glorification. And what that means is that one day you're going to leave this body. We're all going to leave our bodies, and we're going to see the Lord Jesus face to face. And there's going to be no more pain, no more tears, no more cancer, none of these things. And she said, today would be good. <laughs> so sweet, such a spirit that she has. Uh, but she has no fear. She's not afraid. So brothers and sisters, we need to rest. We need not to fear. Uh, our salvation is secure through the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from his love and our promised inheritance. So believers, we have no reason to fear. But let's also remember that this golden chain of salvation does not apply to unbelievers. 
As I said last week, election and predestination are not deterministic or fatalistic. We can choose to receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior. And again, we will only choose if he does something in us first. But we have to keep pleading with the souls, uh, with God for the souls of unbelievers, as much as we plead with unbelievers for God. Those who don't choose Jesus are going to spend eternity in hell apart from him. And none of these five links in God's eternal plan of salvation apply to them. But those who do choose God or are foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified. Now the problem is we don't know who is who, do we? We don't know who's, who God has chosen and who has not chosen. But we do know that no one is beyond God's reach. I know that because I am standing here today. No one is beyond God's reach. And we aren't free to assume that since God is going to bring his elect to salvation anyway, that we have no role in it. Brothers and sisters, we are the means that God uses to preach the gospel to those in our sphere of influence and uh, the means that God uses uh, to have them hear the gospel and to regenerate them and to bring them to saving faith. So if you have unbelieving family and friends, as I have unbelieving family and friends, there is urgency. Uh, my brother told me a story this week uh, of uh, a friend of his, a 50-year-old woman who went to sleep at night and did not wake up in the morning just passed away in her sleep at 50 years old. So we can't assume that our friends and family have time to decide. We don't know how much time we have. So if Jesus told you today that he was coming back tomorrow, who would you call? Who would you call? If a face or a name popped into your mind as I ask you that question, well, what are you waiting for? They may not have much time. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these incredible truths. We cannot understand them, Lord. Uh, they are beyond what our finite minds can comprehend. But I thank you, Lord, that because we are foreknown and predestined, we are called, justified, and even glorified, Lord, even as we wait for the day when we will be glorified. Lord, I thank you that we can rest in the knowledge that our salvation is secure, Lord, we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to worry about if we've lost it, if we've blown it, if there's something that we can do uh, to be lost again now that we have been saved. Lord, I just thank you that though we go through these trying and difficult circumstances in life, it's just life, Lord. Uh, at the end of life, we have such glory and such amazing things ahead of us, Lord, that again, as Paul said, these will seem like temporary inconveniences to us in light of uh, the eternal salvation that awaits us. Lord, I thank you for these truths. I pray that we grasp them and never let go of them. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.